This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to the Den Husky Mormon Nails podcast fans. It is episode number 67. I'm Nick Maxson and Noah Grant is to my right. In today's episode, we'll have plenty of NHL and college hockey news to dive into. Also in today's episode, it is the North Dakota Fighting Hawks continuing in our series to preview the NCHC team's and where we think they will end up in the 2021-22 season. But before we get into the extra ice session here coming up later in the episode, we'll dive deep into a little bit more of a specific topic here, Noah. But we have plenty of news to get to, so that is the Center Ice View Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Starting off today in the Husky Illustrated Weekly Roundup, the Stanley Cup Final is now set. The Montreal Canadiens took down the Vegas Gold Knights in six games to reach their first Cup Final since 1993, where they won it. Noah Grant, it was their last Canadian team to win the trophy. Uh, Tampa Bay also took care of the Islanders in seven games. They all two will meet in the game one tomorrow in Tampa. And just a quick of a side note there, Noah, because uh, we haven't had this included, but uh, Yoel Armia is in COVID-19 protocol and did not make the trip to Tampa uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. So possibly down one of their best forwards there for Montreal. Uh, again, game one set for tomorrow night uh, down in Tampa. Yeah, the other fun fact to add on that, Nick, uh, when Montreal last won the Cup in 1993, that was actually the end of the first season in franchise history for Tampa Bay. So uh, kind of an interesting caveat there. Should Tampa win, it'll be their third Cup and their second Cup in as many years. Montreal would add their 25th, which would, of course, add to the record of 24 among NHL teams. In Saturn news, the hockey world has lost two people this week and, of course, one very close to home in the Minnesota Wild. Tom Curvers, who was the assistant general manager for Minnesota, passed away at the age of 58 this week after his battle with lung cancer. Curvers had been working with Minnesota since 2018 after formerly working with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the former Montreal Canadian did win a cup in 1986, also playing for Buffalo, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, New Jersey, and Anaheim when they were the Mighty Ducks back in the day, tallying 421 points in his 659 NHL career, 659 game, I should say. The Minnesota native, of course, is probably best known for his Hobie Baker winning season up in Duluth, tallying 76 points in his 1983-84 campaign. 
on Tuesday as well. Former Buffalo Sabres standout Rene Robert died this week at the age of 72 after a heart attack put him in the hospital the week before. Part of that French connection between Gilbert Perot and Rick Martin, the three Quebec natives combined in Buffalo for just under 1,700 points in the span of seven seasons. Robert had 702 points in 744 NHL games, and his number 14 was retired by Buffalo in 1995, joining Martin's number seven and Perot's number 11 in the franchise. So for the families of Tom Curvers and Rene Robert, we wish uh, both of them uh, our condolences here from the Huskies Warming House podcast. And a big announcement was made this week, Noah Grant and the NHL world. The Seattle Kraken have released the name, you see what I did there, of their first head coach in franchise history. It's going to be former Toronto Maple Leafs assistant and former Philadelphia head coach Dave Haxtall. Um, Holy cow, what kind of timing is this? Because we're going to be talking about also North Dakota uh, today again. The former North Dakota Fighting Hawk head coach also went 289, 143, and 43 over his 11 seasons with seven Frozen Four appearances. Uh, the 52-year-old is set to pick up his staff for the season after edging out eight other candidates uh, here sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, also edging out in the head coaching search, um, former Arizona bench boss Rick Tockett. Um, also in Seattle, joining the booth is going to be former Tampa, uh, NHL 4, as well as Minnesota NHLer JT Brown, uh, who just recently retired and will be joining them as an analyst uh, with John Forslund as a pay-by-play uh, for this upcoming season. Out in St. Louis, Stanley Cup champion and NHL defenseman Carl Gunnarsson has announced his retirement after a 12-year career. Uh, the 34-year-old Swede hasn't played since a knee injury back in February, uh, noting that the wear and tear was enough for him to move on from the game of hockey. Uh, he spent five years with Toronto and seven with the St. Louis Blues, and most likely remembered for that overtime goal in Game 2 of the Cup Finals in 2019 in Boston. Um, his only playoff goal in 68 career games, and he finished with a career 130. 38 points over 600 NHL games. Meanwhile, in our last topic here, San Jose did re-add forward Matt Nieto on a two-year deal after seven points in 28 games for him last year. Dallas extended a veteran forward Blake Como to a one-year extension after 14 points last year. ESPN hired Hall of Famer Mark Messier to a multi-year deal as a studio analyst, while Vancouver added Henrik and Daniel Sedin, the twins, as special advisors to the general manager. In the NHL awards realm, Carolina's Jacob Slavin became only the fourth defenseman ever to win the Lady Bing as the player to have exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of playing ability, something I was never able to do in my career for sure, Nick. Minnesota's Jared Spurgeon <laughs> was also a finalist for the award. Boston's Patrice Bergeron, of course, taking home more hardware in his career, took home the Marc Messier Leadership Award, and Islanders general manager Lou Lamorella won his second straight general manager of the year. Finally, Canada is set to legalize sports betting across the country, albeit in limited capacity, single event sports betting is now legal up north after Bill C-218 was passed by the Senate of Canada last Tuesday. Canadians will now have the ability to bet on single-game matches across sports, excluding, of course, horse racing. Passing by a 57-20 to 20 margin, the start date for this item, of course, for betting, is the next thing to be decided. back into the studio again nick maxson and uh, noah grant here to my right uh no it's sunday morning here in the twin cities uh it's a, been a little bit rainy which uh desperately needed mm -hmm. uh especially here uh it's, it was almost two weeks without uh, really getting any much rain uh we had some decent rain i wouldn't say not a not enough for sure uh but in true minnesota fashion you know when we say that that we need rain we get like five inches dumped on us in about 24 hours that hasn't happened uh but things are still going good we're already at the end of june 
We're already almost to July, which means, uh, you know, not just in the college hockey world, but certainly in the NHL, there's going to be some important dates coming up uh, here in the next 30 days, including the expansion draft, the protected list. Uh, but at the end of the day, how the heck are you doing up there in the greatest of North Dakota? I just thought of a random question. Um, and, and I don't know. It's when you mentioned the end of June. Has the Stanley Cup final ever been played in July minus last year? Like, uh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. is it just weird yeah it's weird <laughs> you know and i've always been a proponent of someone that says uh you know i think you should make the season shorter i think the nhl season should be 62 games not 82 that's just me um but at the same time it's kind of nice in the middle of the summer to have some hockey on the tv instead of you know having that kind of four or five month dead period minus you know the nhl draft and of course free agency and stuff um so yeah um I don't know. I guess I'm excited to uh, see Montreal and see how they do. They've kind of pulled a 2012 LA Kings. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's been impressive. I, I would like to see besides fans of that team, like diehard fans who actually would have picked him in the cup final. I'll, I'll admit I, I wrote him off in the first mm-hmm. series against Toronto. I thought Toronto was, and honestly, Toronto should have, they were up three games to one should have closed it out. They did not. They all, made a statement. All, uh, all a 2012 LA Kings down three to nothing yeah. in San Jose. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting because you, you have, you know, a team that I think everybody is kind of bet against. And now in the cup final, you almost can't bet against them now. I mean, they've, they've gone through quite the gauntlet uh, of teams, you know, between Toronto, Winnipeg, and then Vegas. That's an impressive series win against a team that no question was a serious cup contender. And uh, how crazy would it be if Montreal uh, seemingly, you know, didn't have the most impressive regular season, but everybody on that roster is playing uh, essentially at a different level here in the play in the postseason, And uh, they have the two goaltending stats, if I recall correctly, and the carry price had like a two Oh two goals against and I think Vasilevsky, like a one nine nine or something like that. It's just the, and you know, just, just all right. Uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be a very fun series um, between those two clubs, uh, especially with the way Montreal plays uh, in the neutral zone, the way they play defensively and how it's going to stack up against that firepower that Tampa has, who still can play pretty stingy defensive, you know, if they want to, again, that one, nothing game seven victory over the Islanders uh, shows you, you know, I think in, in my opinion, you know, I'll get your thoughts on it too real quick before we go into our trivia question. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if you're, if you're Tampa Bay fans, that game seven couldn't, you couldn't have asked for a better looking game seven. Cause yeah, you know, you can put up eight goals. You know, they had that eight, nothing spanking. It was at game five, I believe. Uh, but then, you know, to be able to win those close matchups, those low scoring matchups and to be disciplined enough to, to win that type of hockey game. I, I think that's really a really good sign for Tampa fans is you're going to look, go into that series and it's probably going to be a low scoring uh, and there's not going to be a whole heck of a lot of room out there. But uh, what are your thoughts on this series coming up just briefly before we get into trivia? Yeah. Shocker headline reads goaltending matters in Stanley cup playoffs. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I thought the the storyline that kind of got tucked under the radar with that is the fact that Braden points scoring streak came to an end and that one to nothing went as well going nine consecutive games, uh, just missing off of that record of 10, but he was the only player within like the top, like seven or eight in that record streak to be within the two thousands, if not essentially above 1980 is just extremely, extremely impressive. So yeah, you know what, honestly, 
I, if you're Montreal, the pressure's off of you. Really, there is. I mean, th- there's no pressure on this group. They've exceeded expectations. Play relaxed, play loose. You know you're going to be in a hostile building for games one and two. It should be a fun ride. And I really hope that, you know what, unless you're a diehard Tampa Bay fan, you better be cheering for Montreal because otherwise I will hunt you down personally and let you know um, the error of your ways. Um, so, yeah, it should be good. And they could be the first Canadian team since the Canadians won back in 1993 to get that done. So I think Canadian fans in general – would need that boost. I really think that they do, but uh, you were right. Uh, out of all the teams that were supposed to come out of the North division and potentially contend for a cup, this was not the, <laughs> this was not the team that was marked um, for sure. Um, you know, funny enough, when we, speaking of Canadians, uh, when we were talking about Rene Robert, I was looking at, of course, the Buffalo Sabres to make sure I had the numbers correct for the numbers that were retired for the French connection in that line. Did you know, obviously uh, Tim Hortons, the popular uh, Canadian uh I guess coffee and donut place is probably the best way to put that. You got to start your morning with Timmy's man. That's just oh, how yeah. it works. <laughs> so Tim Hortons, of course, named after an NHL player by the name of Tim Horton and stuff. His number is actually retired number two by the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I did not know that. I mean, he's probably best known for his time in Toronto and stuff. Uh, um, kind of an interesting character. If you ever get a chance to look at his Wikipedia page, um, the way he passed away, it was even kind of crazy and stuff too. So, I mean, it was just, I love reading about hockey. So I guess I was a little reinvigorated this morning after sleeping. I slept for 13 hours last night um, and got up and did the notes this morning. So it was kind of a, kind of an odd. And, and I'm the old man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I say I woke up and my bones hurt. Does that mean I'm moving into the next stage? Is that how that works? So I uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, well, I'm curious to see what your comment is on this. We did have a trivia question from last week, Nick, as always. Of course, we had our guest and Travis Weldon uh, on the show. It was exciting to have him on. Of course, he doesn't like Wisconsin, who he doesn't like that they haven't seen the Huskies since 2013. The question said, in 2008, St. Louis State men's hockey did beat the Badgers for four consecutive games in a row. When was the first time St. Louis State beat the Badgers in four straight? For example, May 1988 to April 1996, whatever it would be. Um, although it's kind of hard to go backwards. What were the combined scores of those four games? Uh, I don't know if you'll get the dates. Um, you can take a stab at the dates, but I guess the better question is, what do you think that the um, the combined goal differential or goal scores would be? So, so are you talking about each game or for the whole four games? For the for the realm of four games. So when when was the first win followed by the you know the date of the fourth win, the month and the year of the fourth right. win, and then just the combined plus how many? Yeah, basically okay. like like 10 to 8 you know or something like that sure so. uh well i'm going to say it's gotta be in the 90s somewhere we were 90s. both alive i'll tell you that much so oh that limits it just a slight uh <laughs> i'll take a step 95 to 99 and i'm gonna say if it, if it was significant enough let's go uh, 16 to 4 Okay. I like, I, I like the gold differential thinking that the Badgers tallied only four in, in four games. I had, you know what, I, you know, you, you know what, you were right about the nineties though. But the thing about the nineties, Nick, is they scored a little bit heftier, I think, but nonetheless, you were off by a year to year. Uh, it was actually oh. October of 1996. So I guess I wasn't born then. It was a couple more months later that Noah Grant came along and ruined the world of uh, everybody he encountered, but <laughs> October, 1996, February 14th, 97, February 15th, 1997 and February 27th of 1998 scores of three to two, five to four, seven to one and seven to three for the Huskies for a combined score differential of 22 to 10 in favor of St. Cloud state. Not that far off. 
Yeah. <laughs> he only gave Wisconsin no credit, which, you know what? We love that. Do the same thing with North Dakota in our NCHC preview in a few moments here. But Wisconsin <laughs> does finally visit the Herbrooks National Hockey Center this year in that non-conference schedule in October 22nd and 23rd of this year. We got yelled at for calling it an exhibition schedule. It's not an exhibition schedule. It's a non-conference schedule. So non-conference schedule, Wisconsin Badgers. Back That's in the true. Yeah. We're excited to have them. But Nick, uh, we have some exciting things to get to. Uh, what is next for us on the show here? Yeah, so it is previewing uh, a certain team that uh, comes from a certain state. It's northwest of Minnesota. It's kind of by the Canadian border. Their colors are green and white. Yeah, it's the Fighting Hawks. Let's let's just go with it. It's North Dakota. Again, uh, second uh, to last team in our preview um, for our series here at the NCHC for the 2021-22 season. Uh, and kind of curious, Noah, again, uh, ben Holland says this uh, quite often, and he's absolutely right. North Dakota doesn't uh, rebuild, they reload. And a uh, lot of talent coming back into uh, North Dakota. But they did lose a lot there, too. And I, you had a really uh, fun statistic that kind of compared, uh, you know, points lost with maybe another NECHC team. I, I kind of want actually to tell that because it just shows the power that this team can have at times when you have the right pieces there. Uh, so tell us uh, for North Dakota how much – and points career are they losing uh, coming up uh, after this year? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I want to start very briefly with just their record overall, and then I'm going to jump right into that. You're totally right. 22 6 and 1 for the Fighting Hawks last year, 23% on the power play, 86.4% on the kill. So pretty, pretty decent in both regards there. Uh, goal differential was a plus 57, shocker. Uh, 3.9 goal. Yeah, 3.9 goals per game, 2. Oh, goals against, they actually doubled up on goal differential on their opponents. They had 114 on the year, plus 205 in the shot differential category for the Fighting Hawks oh, last year. In, insane. insane. Finished first in the NCHC, of course. 25.4% of their total goals were power play goals. 29 they had oh. last year, and their power play was only at 23%. So think about how many opportunities not only did they score on, but how many did they draw, right? Mm-hmm. The only team to set... Uh, an opponent high in points, St. Cloud State, 14 points against them. And they tied Omaha as the only two teams to score five goals on North Dakota all year. So is, wow. isn't that just impressive? So, uh, yeah, it's very impressive to see this North Dakota group. They're losing five forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender with a combined 463 Combined points should Grant Mismatch not return for his super senior year. He had 71 points and 117 games played. I mean, it's just insane. Jordan Kawaguchi, 126 points. Jackson Keene had 14. Colin Adams, 77 points. Shane Pinto, only a sophomore last season, moving on to sign with Ottawa in the NHL. 60 points and 61 games played for him. Josh Regeer had six points. Matt Kierstead playing with Florida right now, 77 points for him on the back end. Gabe Bast, whose brother is coming in this year, signed um, in Sweden, 32 points for him on the back end as well. And then, of course, Peter Tomey transferring over to St. Thomas. Uh, interesting with Peter Tomey, did you know he had a college career worst 8.72 and 2.83 this year in a shortened season? Isn't that an interesting little thing? I know it's a shortened season, wow. so those numbers can, can kind of change. But, uh, you know, that was like the only – somewhat poor statistic that I could find. And his GAA was still 2.83 for the college hockey realm is not, not that bad at all. So I, and you look at Kawaguchi signed with Texas in the AHL wheeling nailers, got Jackson Keen, Bridgeport got Colin Adams. You know, you're looking at all, all these players that uh, they're losing. I, well, I guess my question is this, the one that's on the list that 
you know, I haven't seen anything about, and I could be wrong. Does Grant mismatch? Have we heard anything about him? Is I he the haven't. one? Is he the one body that maybe do you think could you see him coming back for a fifth year? Possibly, um, you know, and he's a tough customer to play against. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very downhill player, similar to I'd say a Mike Miller type. Um, you know, with North Dakota, uh, he's a guy that's not afraid of the physicality. He has that skill set where he can still put the puck in the net. Uh, overall, a very good two-way forward, and no question that North Dakota would obviously take him back in a heartbeat. Um, but uh, you know, at the end of it, Noah. When you have a, a such, you know, when you call the turnover right in college hockey, and this is, I think, what makes North Dakota's reloading so impressive is not just, you know, the fact that they can recruit some of these top players, but how quickly can they assimilate themselves into the college game and play cohesive, right? I mean, th- that's no joke. Um, you know, if you look at St. Cloud, uh, you know, two years ago when we lost, you know, uh, that a lot of those seniors from that, uh, that very, very good, arguably the best regular season team in St. Cloud State history, uh, you know, and when the Palin Twins came back and, you know, you, you had some, definitely some offensive pieces missing, there was, there was some struggles there, but the team, I would say, was was trending upwards before the pandemic. Now, I wouldn't qualify them as super dangerous, but they were a dark horse, right? Uh, North Dakota just seems to find a way to get these guys up to speed so quickly, and they just become that much dangerous again, maybe only after a half season. Um, but as you are going to point out here in a, in a moment, and that is, you know, it's not just that these players, you know, St. Cloud's players that come in, they're not true freshmen. Um, you know, a lot of the St. Cloud State players that come in have spent either a couple of years in juniors or not just 18 years old. From what we know about the players coming in, though, is that a lot of these guys are true freshmen. Yeah. So they're young kids. So what does that say about, you know, that group that is coming in? They've got to be skilled. You know, they're going to be good. The question is, you know, what's going to be that transition that looks like when they make that jump from juniors or high school into the NCHC? Again, the best college hockey conference in the entire USA. Yeah, their freshman class. You know what? I got to tell you, you know, Nick, I know we don't give North Dakota many props, but I tell you what, their website, they do a very nice job and they do a very nice job <laughs> with, their, with their media coverage because you know what? It was nice to go in. They had an article on their transfers coming in. They had an article on their freshman class coming in. And you know what? It was a lot easier knowing who the heck was actually coming in. It is very nice. So uh, a couple 18-year-olds uh, that are on the docket, three of them, in fact, and I, I factor believe on the back end, Brent Johnson, a defenseman from Dallas, Texas, had 32 points and 47 games played for him for Sioux Falls. I believe, I, and I could be mistaken here, I think this year is his draft eligible year, actually. Pretty sure he is because he he's, was a he's national ranked development third. team, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he's ranked 38th among North American skaters in Central Scouting. Uh, the last I saw, so uh, either it is his draft eligible year, or because I didn't, it didn't show that he was drafted. So I'm assuming it has to be if you're ranked 38th among North American skaters. I feel like yeah, you it's his be, draft year. I feel like you got to be so. Um, and on the forward end for the 18 year olds, it's either is it Matteo or Matteo? Bar- apologies, Mateo. If I, yeah, if I butcher this, Costantini, Constant. Constantini. Constantini. We're going with that. Yep. He's, from, he's from Ontario. Okay. Anyway, 22 points and 37 games played on the front end for Sioux City in the USHL. He's a Buffalo fifth rounder uh, from last year's draft. Jackson Coons, a Grand Forks native. I uh, got to love that. The North Dakota boys, right? 23 goals, 20 assists, 43 points. 
50 games for him in Green Bay. He's a Canucks fourth rounder. He's the highest East grand pick in 17 years, although he's listed for Grand Forks there. Uh, and then you look at, they've got two more forwards coming in on top of that. Nick Ports from St. Cloud, Minnesota, age 21 for him. 75 points in 90 games played in his past two seasons in the USHL. Jake Schmaltz is 20 years old from Wisconsin. 103 points for him over three seasons with Chicago and the Green Bay. He's a seventh rounder of the Bruins. Uh, Luke Bast, of course, as we kind of touched on a little bit, his brother Gabe uh, just exiting. Uh, Luke coming from Red Deer as well. 29 points in Waterloo over his two years on the back end. And then a couple of goaltenders that are going to be in the mix as well, too. Caleb Johnson, that Grand Forks native as well, that I think has been uh, highly weighted for with the Minnesota Wilderness. 77 games for him in the null and some pretty good numbers. And then Jacob Helson coming um, or Jakob, however you would say it. He's coming from Sweden from J20 over there, and they're going to add that as well. But you look at, I mean, you look at this group that's coming in. We're going to touch on the five transfers that are coming in in a little bit. It's just impressive, uh, as Ben Holden would say. They, you know, they don't rebuild, they reload. Uh, Nick, is it safe to say, especially with not only the fact that they have a good freshman class coming in, but they have the, they've utilized the transfer portal well? Uh, we have this North Dakota team pick third just because we don't know how it's all going to gel together. But uh, uh, could this team finish like healthily in first if all the pieces, uh, you know, come yeah. together here? No question. Uh, yeah. There's always a chance. You hate to say this as a St. Cloud State fan, but there's always a chance North Dakota finishes first. They're just that good. I mean, I, I you don't want to give them props as a St. Cloud State fan, but again, you know, this is the Huskies Warmer House podcast. We're objective in these things, right? Yeah, sort of. Sort, sort of, right? <laughs> uh, but no, they're a good hockey squad. And again, Bradbury is an excellent coach. Uh, you know, that, that organization from top on down, right. From the way they recruit, from the way that, you know, Brad Berry gets these guys, uh, get into the system. Um, he preaches, um, accountability, preaches excellence. Um, and you know, as an 18 year old, what's it like, do you think to walk into a mini XL energy center to have that locker room, that player lounge? I mean, you're taking a lot of like those, I don't know. It, it's just, it has this just aura around that program. Right. And, you know, just a few names coming from there that maybe have had NHL successful careers, Zach Parisi, Jonathan Taves, TJ Oshie. <laughs> we you guys have, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't bring up Zach Parisi on the show, Nick. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, Nick. I mean, I, as many of our listeners know, I grew up as a Gophers fan because my dad went to the UN 81. Of course, now I'm, you know, loving the Huskies and stuff, trying to take them to the Gophers game coming up in October here. But I got to be honest, man, when I was a kid, even up into high school, when I imagined myself, you know, playing division one hockey, I imagined myself playing at Ralph Engelstead Arena. I didn't imagine myself playing for the Gophers. I really didn't because I mean, that building is just, it's absolutely incredible. How could you not want to play there? And I think that's the important thing to clarify here. Um, you know, if there are any North Dakota players or coaching staff listening, it, we've talked about your fans enough where it's kind of like, yeah, you know, we're not fans of your fans. That's fair. You know what? But you got to give them props for this. They travel well. Their fans cool. are, there's a reason they're hated. It's because they're rabid. They're obnoxious. They, they know how to be good fans. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. And you know what? And I think diving deeper into saying, yeah, we hate to say that they might be, be first in this conference, but we hate to say it because above all, we have major respect for the program and what they bring to the table just because of how good the, those players and the coaching staff really are. I mean, it is just impressive. Yeah. Nick, uh, you talked about the coaching staff. I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, and that's what we're going to jump into next, but I do want to announce this too. Another thing coming out of Grand Forks that I think is important for us to mention on the show. This is on the website for the university of North Dakota that um, I, we'd be remiss if we didn't announce it at least. And I'm going to read the press release kind of word for word. So people know what's going on here. 
North Dakota Athletics and Ralph Engelstead Arena have partnered to release shirts in support of former North Dakota hockey player Evan Trupp and his battle with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, shirts can be purchased exclusively at that link for the Shop.com as far as Dakota Legacy Collection, with just over $19 per shirt going directly to his medical efforts. Fans uh, are also encouraged to support Trump through his GoFundMe page, which was started by teammates Danny Cristo and Brad Malone. Over $42,000 has already been raised to help the fight against cancer. He, of course, played four seasons for uh, the Fighting Sioux at that time from 2007 to 11, 108 points in 157 games for him. So, of course, two Frozen Fours, uh, two McNaughton Cups, and a pair of Broadmoor trophies for uh, the Alaska native as well. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention uh, Huskies fan or not, definitely jump on that GoFundMe page for him and uh, help out Evan Trapp because that's one thing we want to support as all of our college hockey brethren. But uh, somebody that's been very good in the college hockey world, Nick. Uh, head coach Brad Berry in his seventh season, 138 wins to his credit. Assistant coach Dane Johnson in his 16th season. I think he's actually kind of a flight risk to maybe join uh, uh, Dave Haxtell out there in Seattle. Carl uh, Gehring, of course, uh, back-to-back national championships as a, as a netminder in 2001 in his in his entry here, uh, I believe it's his third season. And then, of course, volunteer coach Jason Ulmer in his third season after a 15-year pro career and two national championships with the UND as well. Uh, the big one, of course, obviously, is Brad Berry. Of course, uh, everyone knows who he is at this point. But, Nick, uh, for those who maybe don't or for those who don't know enough about Brad Berry, what does he honestly bring to this program that is, uh, in a lot of ways, unmatched in a lot of college hockey programs across the country? Development. That's what it is. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. The North Dakota brings in already some solid, sound hockey players from juniors, from high school. There's no question about that. But again, as, as players, when you play college hockey, your goal is not to play college hockey and then hang up your skates, especially when you go to North Dakota. Your goal is to play in the National Hockey League. So that means you still have to get better. There's things you got to develop. This coaching staff and Brad Berry leads this charge. Uh, they preach a 200-foot game. Absolutely. They, they preach playing a five-man unit. They say, you know what, you're going to earn your spot. They run it just like an NHL roster should be run. Um, so it's, you know, it, he doesn't take the perks that he has for granted. Um, he absolutely knows what he has, but he also doesn't say, hey, we're going to coast, you know, on in here. Uh, they, they know with the love of that fan base that they have that they also have to perform, right? And so with that, for these kids, it's all about, how do we get these guys to, to continue to develop skills, uh, to get them involved in the systems, to assimilate those? Uh, he's just a fantastic teacher is really what he is. Um, Brett Larson, to me, is also a fantastic teacher, um, but Brad Berry's right on up there um, as far as college coaches are concerned in the, in the entire country as far as teaching and developing players uh, to go to that next level, whether it be um, AHL, the pros, um, that's what he brings to the table, and that's why a lot of people, um, Dallas, Texas, as you mentioned, a defenseman from Dallas, Texas, is coming up they're going to north dakota to play hockey because they want that next step they want yeah. to continue their growth in their career to eventually make it to the national hockey league and that was actually yeah you, you kind of touched on what i was going to touch on next there's a reason that you have a couple of 18 year olds and guys who are turning 19 coming in versus when we looked at for example western michigan and i know they're in a unique spot with having a couple of those returners back but there's a reason why they might hold off on some of those guys that are 19 or 20 years old uh, and some of them are ready but some of them you know they're going to wait on just to let them develop an extra year. When you talk about the development process, bringing in guys that young, you know, sometimes 
you know, you have to really kind of have a good read on the personality, a good read on the player and understand how they're, again, how they're going to jump right into that college realm. And Bradbury brings that to the table. Dane Jackson is a guy that, again, in his 16th season, he might actually end up joining uh, Dave Haxtell out there in Seattle. I wouldn't be shocked to see maybe him make the jump up there just because of the, uh, the understanding that uh, he has with Dave and that sort of thing. But if he sticks around for his uh, 16th season, it, it would just be impressive for him to, uh, it would depend on his obviously his contract situation and whether yeah. uh you know there is an ability to have that conversation um mm -hmm. i would think at some point dane jackson would want that and that's the other thing does he want to go up to that realm does he like being in north dakota i don't know him that well or his situation um but as what's you mentioned on the show <laughs> what's that right um but again some something to watch right because a lot of you know a lot of the staffs that you could see get recycled um in every league that's up there uh you know it's a lot of familiarity and you want to keep those around you that you know that can input your system so it could happen but um i've again some question marks that would be surrounding whether he leaves or stays yeah We've got uh, a couple of things to touch on here. We're actually kind of flying through some North Dakota coverage, which is kind of interesting. Maybe it's on purpose. I don't know. We'll have to see. But uh, <laughs> I promise you it's not on purpose. I think we just rambled on a bit too long in our previous shows uh, before we got to our NCHC previews. But previewing their schedule here, Nick, uh, Manitoba, that exhibition game is on the docket. Two games at home against Niagara, two games at home against Bemidji, and two games away in Quinnipiac. Uh, is going to be on the docket. And then after that, October 30th, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game in Nashville against Penn State. North Dakota is going to be in that one. Uh, of course, the U.S. under-18s coming uh, January 1st. Uh, kind of a typical thing for North Dakota to, to do that with that program. And Cornell, January 7th and 8th, coming back from that Christmas schedule, uh, will be at home at Ralph Engelstead Arena. St. Cloud's on the docket twice, December 3rd and 4th on my birthday in St. Cloud, January 28th and 29th in Grand Forks. Colorado College, Duluth, Western, and Omaha are the other teams that they'll see twice. And Denver and Miami will cap uh, the one-offers for the Fighting Hawks. Nick, I, I kind of want to let you take this second before we get uh, into our, our transfers here, who are maybe some of these returners or some guys that you're looking at that might be some of those impact players this year? Uh, and with a lot of roster turnover, right? You, you have these pieces that, uh, you know, you're looking for those players that are kind of the middle of the pack players to maybe take that next step. Cause you have a big incoming class. You have a transfer class. You're looking for guys that maybe are kind of middle of the pack. I think at least for this group that become those impact players. Um, yes. You're going to have your top performers be top performers. Gavin Haynes going to be one of those that, you know, you look at him and it's like, Holy smokes, this kid's <laughs> unbelievably good at hockey. But you look at some of those guys in the middle that maybe were maybe playing in that middle six to bottom six role. Can they elevate their game and push themselves up in that lineup? You got a couple of guys that you thought are going to be impact players. I do. Um, actually, one of them is going to be a sophomore, Reese Gaber, um, who mm -hmm. uh, was one of the the three big freshmen that came in the NCHC with uh, uh, with VT Mietnin and the uh, I'm trying to remember the player from Denver's name. I apologize, but it was those three that really stuck out um, this season as far as you know, uh, I guess freshmen making a, an immediate impact to their clubs. Um, I, to me, that to me is an impact player. Uh, Ethan Frisch on defense to me plays a very good two-way game. Again, the Moorhead Minnesota native. And then honestly, to me, Jasper Weatherby. Jasper yeah. Weatherby to me is an impact player. He was a third line center. He's, a, I believe, a San Jose draft pick. Uh, he was out there a lot in defensive situations and in, in critical face-off situations. Um, Jasper Weatherby to me is going to be a, a, a 
kind of that leader, especially down the middle, uh, that uh, North Dakota, I think, really needs some stability there, especially with a young, uh, a young, uh, a young group coming in. Uh, but to me, it's all for their offense going to be surrounding with Reese Gaber. And whether does he have that sophomore slump or can he continue to elevate his game? And to me, with the way I've, uh, we watched Reese Gaber, I don't see him being a slump candidate. Uh, but I do see him being, you know, kind of being a follower now being almost kind of injected into a leadership position again, just because of how many young, uh, young people are coming into this fold. Um, to me, he's going to be a big part of their offense, not only a five on five, but also on the power play. Um, so I, those three names immediately make uh, my list. What I'm curious to know is what would be your impact players? Yeah. I mean, well, it's hard to ignore Jake Sanderson, by the way, the Denver player that you were talking about was Carter Savoy. Um, that Carter Savoy. Th- yeah. Thank Carter you. Savoy. I, I, I th- to be honest, and I, and I don't know if he's coming back. I think Grant mismatch, if he comes back can be, uh, a real key to this club just because you have some more of that veteran presence he's a guy that again you talked about plays that complete 200 foot game and plays the right way and I know it's it's weird to talk about a player that we don't know about uh, I feel like when I was looking at the signees I feel like I missed one that maybe ended up there so apologies if we're naming somebody that actually isn't going to be on the team next year uh, Jacob Bernard Docker is a guy for me as well that um, I feel like maybe he was the one but nonetheless uh, he's a guy. He was the I, one because he's in Ottawa. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was like, yeah, something just just doesn't seem right here. But yeah, I think for me, if they can, you know, grab a, a fifth year player coming in along with those transfers, you know, you would have six players at that point, right? That are fifth year players on this team. Uh, the other the other question mark too that you're gonna have here uh, essentially is just gonna be goaltending right? You know, who, who's going to be that guy that's going to kind of take over. I mean, you look at Adam Scheele and his performance, right. As they move down the stretch as well, uh, just a lot of pieces that uh, are moving up in the air. And I know it sounds like I'm deflecting the question, but with this much roster turnover, it's really, it's honestly going to be either. Are you going to have a veteran presence that's going to carry this team? Or are you going to have these, you know, eight freshmen and five transfers that are going to come in that are going to help you reload and restock that pipeline very quickly and help infuse some new energy into a group that honestly, you know what? I don't want to say they got kicked, kicked in the pants last year, but losing in five overtimes in your home state against a bitter rival in Duluth as a team that potentially, if they get through that game, could have won a national championship that that's a that's a you know that's somewhat of a gut punch you know for for the program and then and then of course you you get gutted uh no pun intended there uh, by losing so many good players that help you get to that point and help you build that program it's just going to honestly be i think honestly more on on an emotional level as far as what the impact players provide if that makes sense does that make sense yeah, and it's a big reason why that transfer porter is so important, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, let's let's take a look at what some of those, you know, two older players did with St. Cloud, uh, Jared Cockrell and Seamus Donahue, and how they really did, you know, solidify some of that veteran presence. Again, they were former captains, as uh, Brett Larson likes to go out and get, right? There's a big reason why those transfer incoming transfers uh, in there are going to be, I think, more key than the freshmen. They're going to be there just to, you know, to stabilize certain positions, to take pressure off some of the young kids and to, you know, just try to find that right mix of young blood and that veteran presence that's been there, done that, have experienced the college game. Uh, so that way you're not putting young kids in positions they're just not ready for. So, um, you know, it's an interesting mix. As you mentioned, you know, if this team does click and get jealous quickly, this is a very dangerous squad. Uh, the question is, 
how quickly can they do it? And how does the chemistry with the lines, the defensive pairings, how does it, you know, match together with it? Can they, you know, continue just to roll with what Bradbury's system is, which is to continue with four check and just shove the puck down your throat in the offensive zone and just the quick transition game. That's what they're really good at. Take pressure off your goaltender and just play, you know, the majority of the game in, you know, on the attack. Yeah, only a couple more minutes here in our coverage of the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Let's get to those transfers real quickly, shall we, Nick? The five transfers coming in, two forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender. Nice even mix uh, coming in for this group. Connor Ford, a grad, coming in from Bowling Green. He had 28 points last year in 31 games played for Bowling Green. That's a great pickup for him. Ashton Calder, he's uh, moving in from Lake Superior State. He'll be, I believe, a senior this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, He had 29 points in 29 games played last year, had 28 points uh, and I believe 41 games the year before. So those two forward additions are very, very impressive. Chris Jandrick, uh, he's either a junior or a senior, depending on where his schooling uh, has taken him. He's coming from Alaska and the Nanooks. Uh, He didn't play last season, of course, with uh, uh, the stoppages related to COVID, but 37 points in 63 games in his first two seasons up in Alaska. Interested to see how he adjusts. Uh, you know, getting back up to speech, the Prince George, British Columbia native uh, on the back end as well. Brady Ferner had eight points uh, last year at RPI. Uh, interesting to see a guy from RPI kind of jump into that North Dakota fold to it. It kind of tells me they're looking to uh, maybe restock a little bit with some uh, complete 200 foot guys in the back end there. And then of course the big one, I would say coming from Bemidji state, that's Zach Driscoll in net uh, 28 games played a nine, two, two save percentage and a 2.32 for him last season, a nine twenty and a 2.19 in his career over four seasons with the that's Bemidji important. state Beavers. Yeah. It's just amazing. So Nick, you look at these five transfers, Connor Ford, Ashton Calder, Chris Jandrick, Brady Ferner, and Zach Driscoll. Is there one guy in particular that stands out for you or do you think it's just, it's an incredible transfer class? Uh, well, it's all good. Right. And I like to mix, especially with the two defensemen, you have obviously what looks to be one offensive defenseman and more probably a defensive defenseman that they brought in with Ferner. Um, but to me, honestly, the biggest impact is going to be Zach Driscoll. Um, the reason why I say that is, you know, I think he's going to push um, Adam Shield for that number one spot. And you need that healthy competition, right? Uh, there's a reason why saying cloud with David Rennick, I do think, you know, and, and you, you saw it, right? Jackson Castor got a couple of games, Joey Lamaru, um, a couple of appearances as well, but you know, they push each other, right? Because you don't want to lose that net because you know, if that guy gets on a hot streak, maybe that net is theirs for the foreseeable future. And with Zach Driscoll is a very, very good goaltender, former high school from me, Eastview High School here in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Then again, St. Cloud to Bemidji, now to North Dakota. Um, He's a very capable goaltender. And I think having that depth, again, for North Dakota, I think that's going to be important to give maybe him some, maybe a night off here or there, or also even then just to push him to have some competition in that position, which I think, not to, you know, no disrespect for Peter Tomei, but I, I think, again, with his numbers, his numbers weren't great last year. And I think with the, him transferring out, showed you he was looking for a new opportunity, probably more ice time and for Zach Driscoll going into what could be. Again, you can you can never take North Dakota out of a national championship conversation. Um, he'll be pushing Adam Shield for that uh, number one spot there in, uh, in uh, Grand Forks. Yeah, again, we talked about the goaltending situation and you know, Zach Driscoll, very capable goaltender. I think the piece that uh, you, know, you talk about is can, can you adjust moving to your new team? You know, there's always an adjustment period and especially with goaltenders, it's such a mental, mental game. So I think he's might be slightly more important just because of the fact that you just want him to settle in and play the way that you know how he can play and stuff. And again, that one-two tandem can be a very formidable punch should you have them. 
And there's also a transition for the team, right? Um, you know, what's my biggest thing that I look at is, you know, look at Mark Rundry Fleury, such as Robin Lehner, right? Uh, Fleury, a, a very, you know, I guess aggressive goaltender behind. He plays the puck. He likes to be kind of that third defenseman. Uh, Robin Lehner, not so much. And so the team, there's an adjustment too from the team as well, right? In terms of yeah. how your goaltender plays and maybe how you, you know, work on your breakouts, your transition. So, uh, yeah, again, it's all going to be about, as you mentioned, with every player coming in is how good can we get all on the same page in this same systems and uh that the skill is there at every position we know that uh again the question mark is how quickly can they come together and how dangerous how deep can this team go and you can never count them out they're just that good speaking of danger uh, our last little bit here for the fighting hawks of course as always uh we want to know what's going to make the fighting hawks successful for this season nick and the st Louis state huskies have them four times on the docket should be should be very very good hockey games here hopefully with fans in both buildings what do the st Louis state huskies have to do to handle the fighting hawks uh, as they did so well last season Again, it's all about the forecheck and about quick transitions out of your zone. That, to me, is exactly what it is. You can't let North Dakota establish their forecheck because uh, a couple of things they do well. They cycle low to high very, very well. They got very mobile defensemen, at least in the past years they've had uh, guys that can get pucks through. Uh, so blocking shots, if you are doing that, quick retrieval on pucks, getting out of your zone and then getting on your forecheck. Establish that cycle, continue to have possession in the offensive zone, and pepper pucks. Uh, there's one thing we've noticed, uh, and again, no disrespect to Jim Tomey, is that, or Peter Tomey, excuse me, um, is that, you know. Uh, <laughs> Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey, the baseball bat, player. I know. Say, oh, my gosh. Batting great oh, from the crease this year. My goodness. And you can tell things are just going <laughs> up in the air on the Sunday morning. Uh, but, you know, the, if you can get into that, you know, interior of the uh, the crease there, you know, North, that's where, you know, if you can shrink the ice size a little bit in the defensive, you know, that's an area of vulnerability uh, there for North Dakota. At least it has been in years past. And uh, uh, that's how you do it. You just, you have to take kind of their game and put it right back at them it's the old Herb Brooks coaching strategy you know take it and shove it right up back up their face anyway so but that's honestly that's what it is you got to keep them playing defense because they've got such high skill on the offensive zone and again for the way that they play um, it's a five-man unit you know it, everybody touches the puck they're in the offensive zone for the flying hawks everybody can play it everybody can pass it, everybody can shoot the puck so uh, the more you make them to defend the better tell you what the epitome of what st cloud state has to do and what north dakota does so well i think was exemplified in the nche frozen face-off championship game i uh, <laughs> st cloud was the not better team for all of about four minutes and 40 seconds and look how that game ended up you know i mean it's just yeah. it's one of those things that you look at this north dakota team anytime you give them time and space it really is about like you said one forcing the game against them but really slowing down their transitional speed north dakota a year after year is one of the best teams. I remember when they came to the Herbrook Central Hockey Center and we were calling the games, uh, you know, two years ago. And you look at their ability to every time there's a turnover, just turn the pace up. I mean, that pace of that game just had a different level, a different gear than the rest of them. And that's the way North Dakota plays every single night. You look at their shot differential, pretty hard to get shots on goal when you're stuck in your own end for 45 seconds and stuff trying to defend this North Dakota team. So really it's going to actually not even so much be in the defenders if you're St. Cloud, but it's going to be on the forwards for St. Cloud to be able to kind of at least create some disruption and force players to one side. A lot of times when you see a defenseman for a, a you know an opposing team pick up the puck, right? They're looking to go D to D. They're looking to find a forward that's moving up the ice. What your goal as a forechecking forward is, is you're supposed to try to take away one section, one area of the ice and force them to go, preferably on their backhand, but force them to go uh, up the ice 
in the direction you're trying to force them. That allows your defenders or your centermen who is maybe uh, supporting that play to force them, you know, into the wall, into the neutral zone and not allow them to create any transitional speed off the ice. That's what St. Cloud State has to do against North Dakota. If you're North Dakota, finding a way through those seams because as soon as they do that, they're drawing penalties. They're creating power play opportunities. They're scoring on the power play. They're using their speed so well. They're coming in with numbers. They can score on the attack. They can create a beautiful cycle game with their speed. They're such a, such a deadly, deadly hockey team. But uh, you know what? As a St. Louis State Huskies hockey fan, I'm inclined to hate them because that's just how it works. So, Nick, do you have anything else to add with the Fighting Hawks here? No, I mean, everything you said is correct. And again, it's almost like a, to play that sort of Montreal, you know, neutral zone against North Dakota. That's really what it comes down to. You have to have all five players just, you know, just taking away that space to slow them down. Because again, you know, a big part of their game is their speed and their legs. And if you give them open ice, uh, they're again, probably the most dangerous team in college hockey. Yeah. Puck possession is huge. I mean, the, the the other piece of this too for St. Cloud, have the puck. You know, you got to be the team that if you want to slow the pace of play down, you have to have the puck and play with your pace. That's just how it is. St. Cloud, I think, did a much better job of that last year than they did the year before, uh, but it's going to have to be at that level or better again this year to continue to grab some more wins against uh, North Dakota because I thought there were a couple of times where North Dakota uh, was on the ropes. Uh, against St. Cloud and St. Cloud kind of let them back in a little bit or North Dakota just played the way North Dakota can. So uh, yeah, it should be a good one. As we move into our extra ice session, Nick, I kind of made an executive decision here because we didn't really get a chance to touch on this a little bit earlier in the show. Of course, we have some great, um, great uh, expansion draft talk coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we have of course some sad news uh, around the Chicago Blackhawks organization that maybe we might touch on in the coming weeks. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to go on the athletic and read the latest that Katie Strang has had to offer, I definitely would recommend you doing that. But Nick, I think since we have, you know, we're at about 46, 47 minutes, I think maybe let's just take minutes and 10 minutes and talk about the recent success for the United States sled hockey team at the world sure. championships, maybe uh, in the extra ice session, you won't want to miss it. So stay tuned. Welcome into our extra ice session. Uh, excited to be with you guys here. Of course, we've got about well, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Of course, we always say that, and then we ramble on for about 45 minutes. Nick, we're going to try to keep this one short and sweet. Uh, one, uh, an instance that's a little bit close to home to me, uh, both literally and figuratively, uh, the United States uh, sled hockey team uh, going to the world, uh, the world championships, their title game, uh, they trounced Canada in that title game, a five to one victory. Got to watch it yesterday at the rink here. Uh, two goals and assists from Declan Farmer, who's just an unbelievable talent in the sled hockey world. Jack Wallace had three assists as well. Uh, my high school head coach, David Hoff, is the head coach of the U.S national sled hockey team and then my college assistant coach Corey Gorder on that staff as well and then we do have uh Chris Douglas who comes and skates with us here in the Minot area of course he's on that team as well they're getting ready for the Paralympic tryouts two weeks after this uh but just a great great building block for them of course winning the past couple of Paralympic gold medals the U.S. hockey team has as well too it's just been very impressive uh Nick uh, not a lot of people follow the sled hockey realm a little bit. Uh, it's kind of been a, a program that since its inception in the mid 2000s has really grown. Some of the guys that were part of that inception have stayed there up until this point. Uh, you look at, uh, uh, you know, players, I, I don't know why I always blank on his first name. Um, I'm trying to find it here. His last name is Cash, Steve Cash. I always want to say Johnny Cash, obviously, but Steve Cash, uh, the goaltender, uh, longtime goaltender for the U.S. team, uh, logging a lot of minutes, of course, backstocking, stopping them through uh, pretty much all the major tournaments there. Uh, one 
what can you say about the sled hockey team for the United States program? It's pretty much the U S and Canada in the dogfight for the sled hockey championships. Uh, and then maybe we'll touch on a little bit more into, uh, I guess, what can we do to make sled hockey more inclusive, but first your thoughts on the U S sled hockey team, uh, and anything that you can add on there. Uh, wow. First of all, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what an offensive uh, show they put on here at the world's uh, again, um, anytime that you can down a Canadian team and do it in convincing fashion, that's, it's always, you know, a, a nice hand clap for these guys. But uh, you know, when you, when you look at the game of hockey and then you look at the slut hockey world um, you know, it, the one thing that's kind of interesting, Noah, and, and I don't know if interesting is the right word, but these athletes and how they have to get around the ice how they have, mm-hmm. how the game is a little bit different in terms of its structure, in terms of how you have to create some things, but still the skill that's on display, is just absolutely incredible. Um, and these, these, these athletes are out there, they're going hard. There's contact, you know, there's, there's exceptional skill. There's uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an awesome thing to watch because, you know, for, uh, and, and you hate to say this, but for some of the sports that are out there, I don't think a lot of these athletes would have an opportunity to play, you know, at the same level with some other sports, it just isn't there. But for, for some of these folks for sled hockey, it's a, it's a very competitive, very good type of sport to watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, it's hard to really put into words, honestly, um, what, you know, sled hockey can actually, I think it's, it's more about what it means to these athletes, honestly. Um, it gives them, you know, that the way to kind of get that competitive fire out there. Um, and again, the, the camaraderie, again, that hockey brings, whether it's sled hockey, whether it's, you know, the hockey that you and I see on a daily basis, you know, up here, um, it's a treat to watch. And, And I think that, it doesn't really get the recognition it deserves. Uh, there's no question about that, but for these players and for the way that they just dominated um, this last world, I mean, just what an incredible job by a, the coaching staff uh, and two, obviously the athletes congrats to them and the hard work and the, what they've earned. Uh, but you know, what a statement by USA hockey, just to, to be able to pump the resources and, and the energy and the right minds in there to, to create such a successful program. It's really, really awesome to see. And to me, I think it deserves more, recognition on a national level than it does currently, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know how they do it. I speaking from limited experience here, of course, when Chris Douglas comes out to us, let me put it to you this way. So we have our skates tonight. Of course he won't be here tonight. They're, they're flying back from Vienna tonight, but I uh, will see him on Monday, but to put this in perspective, our, our Sunday night weekly skate, uh, why not hockey here? It's normal hockey players with a little bit of skill. And then it's Chris Douglas out there on his sled with us. And he's, you know, he hangs right there with us and is better than probably half the people that are out there. And you got to understand this dude goes up and down the ice using his shoulders and his arms, you know, like low, low center of gravity, that sort of thing. It's just impressive. It's impressive to see players play this sport in a way that, you know, I could never be able to do it. It's, it's utterly impressive. And Chris is a great guy. Love, love skating with him, you know, and probably shoots the puck (laughs) harder than I do. Uh, You know, so if you haven't gotten a chance at least to go to the USA hockey page, go check out some of the sled hockey development stuff. Definitely like just take a look at it and see what the sport entails, how it's played. Is there body contact? You better believe there is, you know, is there high flying, high skilled action, amazing saucer passes? You better believe there is. There's a lot of elements of what we know as the game of hockey that not only are a part of slide hockey, but they're more impressive than any of us could ever do. Um, 
But that brings me to our, our, our next point here, Nick. And it was something that we had a discussion as we're getting ready to add a four sheet here in Minot, North Dakota. They're fundraising for that as well. And the discussion has been, how do you make sled hockey more inclusive? One of the biggest challenges is the cost of sleds, uh, the dimensions of the rink, the boards have to be specially designed for players to be able to get up into the benches. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but when you look at a hockey rink, you have the yellow trim. It's called a kick plate that runs along the bottom of the boards. You have to mitigate some of that so players can get up off the ice uh, and into the benches with the sleds. You have to be able to see through the boards so that the players who are underneath the boards can see it when they're on the benches and stuff. There's a lot of logistical challenges not to mention just growing the game for sled hockey players because they are a niche community, if you will. Nick, uh, what is the sled hockey scene like down in the Twin Cities? Do you have any idea? And are there any things that, you know, maybe they can do to continue to grow to grow the game? Well, there's no question. There, There's a community here. It's, again, like you mentioned, it's a niche community. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's one of those where – it's almost feels like its own separate community, maybe, um, you know, just because, like you said, there's some logistical differences between just the way that you have to construct the boards, the way that, you know, the, these, and I think just the athletes too, their stories, you know, the individual stories as to, and, you know, uh, getting him into the sled hockey world, it, it is different. Um, and I don't want to take, you know, it, it's, it's not a negative thing, obviously, but I think there's a lot of folks that, you know, it's almost like it, it's a, it's a way for, I think people that play the game have come from different backgrounds and have gone through probably some different things that you and I have gone through. It's a great way for those folks to come together, share those stories, but also to be able to put a competitive fire out on a, on, on, in an athletic sense and to be able to, put that on an ice. And again, as you mentioned, um, these guys who are going up and down the ice, you know, and it's two sticks too, right? There's two sticks mm-hmm. and they're using the butt ends of their sticks. And I believe there's, there's an attack on the bottom yeah. of them. If I remember correctly, pick. yeah, a little pick, right. And they are literally charging up the ice almost as like, you're almost, I don't know if kayaking is the right, you know, kind of motion, uh, but yeah. you know, it's using all your upper body strength and they fly, you know, they mm-hmm. make, probably a guy like me looks slow and i'm on you know my two legs and well, pushing well, through at 34 well that's pretty easy to do uh, that's true but <laughs> uh but you know it, it's it's something where y- you have to just get the news out there you have to get you know the the awareness that's out there and again uh there's some the logistical challenges i think it's probably their biggest uh mountain they have to climb um and how you defeat that is you just have to get the awareness out there um mm-hmm. and you know like you mentioned you know you know fundraising for a rink and then it's not just the initial construction cost, but it's also been the maintenance cost. You know, it's, it's the electricity and then, you know, getting, I guess that consistent intrigue to a uh, sled hockey, which again, it's very niche. Um, it's not easy, but uh, that would be the two biggest challenges that face them. Uh, and there's no question here in North Dakota and Minnesota that the game of hockey as a whole has significant interest, but you know, sled hockey, again, as a niche community, how, how do you include them into that community? I think also to try to share some of those logistical challenges um, and, you know, is there a way to maybe make it so uh, your traditional ice rinks maybe have some sort of a quick changeover where, you know, you can have both types of hockey played. And so you're reducing some of those logistical costs that may be an area of, of, of study maybe, but um, if you look at the people uh, from both, you know, the hockey you and I watch on TV versus sled, they're all the same. They love the game. They love the oh, camaraderie. Yeah. They, they, love, you know, they love to compete and, you know, they would do, if, if I could, you know, retire from working and live next to an ice rink, I'd be on an ice rink every single day. And I know that those guys would do hundred yeah. percent. 
Yeah, Chris's journey has been great. Of course, he worked with the Tampa Bay organization for a little bit as well. And I hear they're doing all right, this Tampa Bay organization. I don't know. Some Stanley Stanley right. thing, Stanley Cup thing. I don't know. It, it's it's Some interesting. Trophy. You know, and, and there are pieces of that when you talk about, you know, the, the guys haven't changed. I mean, there are a couple of guys that were on the Paralympic team, the last team, where the way that they lost their legs is they were parked on the side of the road during a snowstorm after prom in Colorado and a car came over the hill and they had the tailgate down and they ended up getting hit. Yeah. Oh my. And, and that's how they lost their legs. So, um, and fun fact for those who are like, how the heck does this sled hockey thing works? Uh, if you're going to lose your legs, lose them both. Cause it's a lot easier than when you have one leg. Cause of course you can lean a lot farther forward. Uh, Cause you don't have the one leg extended. So there, there's a lot of pieces that, you know, they embrace the role in which they play uh, in the Paralympic realm. And also, you know, just for people in general, I, uh, being able to rally around a team like that. And they like to have their fun too. I've definitely heard plenty of stories of guys that, again, the guys that, you know, maybe don't have both their legs and the, you know, it's kind of up high where, you know, their midsection is they'll hide in duffel bags. They'll hide in luggage compartments and planes and scare people and stuff. You know, they're, they're, they're good guys. They're just hockey guys, just like you and I are. But again, you talk about, you talk about getting the word out and getting a chance. First things first is, you know, the game that we watched yesterday was not on any of the major television networks. We had to go into a private viewing party to be able to do that. So getting that to, you know, be at that next level, getting that on TV, getting the exposure around the rink, giving people a chance to uh, try sled hockey, you know, if there may be, you know, if they fit the bill to be a sled hockey player and that sort of thing. I, I tried it one time. It was the most difficult thing I think I've ever done. It was incredible so again talking about that awareness i think the first thing to, to cap this off is that if you've never seen a sled hockey game go back and find the highlights from last night or go back and watch the paralympic the last two championship games and just see what it's all about um and i think that's maybe our goal here at least as a platform is that uh it's a lot of things that we could talk about in such a short amount of time here that we don't have time to touch on but using this platform, we like to just have people aware that, Hey, there was a world championship yesterday. The U S trounced Canada. You gotta love that. Right. And they're getting ready for their trials for the Paralympic team in two weeks and, and just continue to support and grow that game. So yeah, that's all we have for episode number 67. Nick, do we have anything else to add here as far as just general, what in the world is going on here? Yes, uh, we do. Uh, I believe Bruce Siski joins us next week for uh, Minnesota Duluth. Is that correct? Yeah. Next, uh, that next week, not this upcoming, not this current week, but the week after he will be, he will be joining us this week, but the interview will come out after, of course, our NCHU preview with our last team coming up, which uh, shocker, Nick, do you think you can guess who that is? Jeez, uh, Bruce Siski, Bulldogs. Oh, Bulldogs. Yeah. So uh, Minnesota <laughs> Duluth, again, uh, you know, some, some quite a few ties between uh, St. Cloud as well as Duluth. But again, the biggest tie is uh, these two are, these two programs are, you know, they're pretty darn good. Um, and uh, a lot of connections, both in personnel and I guess just right up 35, right again, too. So uh, we'll have Bruce Siski joining us to help us break down UMD's previous season, some of the players that they're losing, some players that are coming in and just a, an outlook for Duluth again, which seems to be uh, like North Dakota. They seem to be just reloading these last couple of years. And uh, again, with Scott Sandler behind the bench now for uh, uh, we'll say just a few years, um, uh, again, at the helmet, he, again, he drives a bus up there and Duluth has done a phenomenal job with that program. So that's a couple of things coming up on the docket. Am I missing anything, Noah? Well, I, I guess a little more information, not by much, but I will say that the week after that, when we're going to start to maybe look at either the non-conference schedule or preview our St. Cloud State Huskies, uh, you and I will actually end up seeing each other for the first time in 
uh, since March 6th of 2020. I know it's been a welcome vacation for you, but you and I will end up seeing each other uh, at or near <laughs> the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center uh, around that weekend as well. So, And that's all we're going to leave about that uh, until further details make themselves known. But nonetheless, that will do it for episode number 67. Ben Holden might join us this week. If you can figure out how his computer works, we'll have to see. We got a lot of things coming up uh, and we'll keep you informed for sure. But of course, episode number 68, covering the Duluth Bulldogs in our last NCHC preview besides our St. Cloud State Huskies will be on the docket next week and you won't want to miss it. And we'll see you soon from the Huskies Warming House Podcast. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! No, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.